The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 1 through 18. This is not the lectionary text, but it fits well with the sermon theme. And interestingly, this is thought to be the oldest written text contained in the Bible, dating back the furthest. Of course, a lot of oral tradition dates back later, but as far as the written texts we have go, most scholars think this is the oldest of them all. I invite you now to listen for the word of God. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples heard, and they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of, Mo of Edom were dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as a stone until your people, O Lord, passed by, until the people whom you acquired passed by. You brought them in and planted them on the mountain of your possession, the place, O Lord, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And the New Testament lesson from the lectionary comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. When they had come near Jerusalem and reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. 
this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! In the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From ancient days, God has graciously revealed who God is to human beings. And from ancient of days, humans have argued back with God about who God should be. Of course, it seems obvious that it's God's prerogative to self-define and self-reveal. God is God, after all, and... God alone can show us who God is. But when push comes to shove, we humans wish for all sorts of gods. And we often want to impose those wishes onto the God who is. Usually, the God we want is some kind of warrior God. A God who will fight our battles for us and vanquish our enemies A God who fights for my tribe and my people and my nation. God, however, is not always inclined to be at war with everything and everyone we humans tend to fear. Hence the striving, the wrestling between God and the human being. God appears to Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go and confront Egypt's Pharaoh and demand that the Pharaoh set the Israelite slaves free. And of all the questions Moses could ask God, Moses asks, what is your name? Moses wants to know God's name so that he can know what God is like, so that he can know what God can do, so he can know what God is made of. Is this God one of those warrior gods from one of all of these local tribal pantheons? Moses must be wondering. After all, every tribe and nation and people has some kind of warrior God. And if you're going to go and confront Pharaoh, you'll want to be sure you have a warrior God on your side. A God who is mighty in battle. A fertility God, after all, will do you no good, right? But God says to Moses, my name is, I am who I am. Such a name really isn't that helpful, is it? And in fact, such a name intentionally resists human definitions and projection. 
Moses is left to walk by faith, obeying God without really knowing who this God is yet. Many plagues later, the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea and Pharaoh's army perishes in their wake. Freed from slavery in Egypt, the people sing a song of praise to God, which we read in Exodus 15. The Lord is a warrior, they say. The Lord is his name. You see, if you worship God as a warrior, you're telling God to be a warrior. Your praise encourages that sort of behavior. But if this is not who God has said that God is, well, then your worship has gone awry. And this tendency to worship the God we want rather than the God who is would become a recurring pattern, a recurring problem in the people's relationship with God. The other day, my son James successfully cleaned up his own toys for the first time, which he had strewn across the living room. It was a very exciting day in our household. And when he put that last little toy car into the toy box, I praised him with all my heart and soul. Great job, James. You are such a great helper. Now, truth be told, James is not a great helper. He's too. But I want him to become a great helper. That's how I want him to act. So I praise him for being a good helper in the hopes that he'll become a good helper. I try to reinforce that behavior. When God's people worship God as a warrior God, they engage in a similar sort of attempted coercion. As the Israelites wander in the desert, they construct a golden calf and they worship it while Moses isn't looking. Though God says in the Ten Commandments, I cannot be reduced to an idol, to a graven image, the people say, yes, you can. Why do people make and worship a golden calf? Seems weird, right? Well, bull worship was all the rage in ancient Palestine before the Israelites entered the Promised Land. And it was associated with the pagan god Baal, one of the chief Canaanite gods. Now, when you go home today, Google archaeological images of Baal, and you'll see the draw of a really cool-looking warrior god. Baal rides on the clouds. He carries all kinds of cool weapons fashioned out of reeds. And Baal was, you guessed it, mighty in battle. He's the kind of God you want on your side when you're in trouble. The kind of God you want to worship so that in exchange, he'll protect you. It's the perfect transaction. The praise and adoration of worship in exchange for protection and conquest of enemies. Everyone wins. When the Israelites worship the golden calf, they're saying, God, we want you to be more like Baal. We want you to sit with a golden calf as your pedestal, like Baal. It's a footstool fit for a king, after all. That's the kind of king we want you to be. But God did not say that God was like Baal. 
And God would spend the next many centuries demanding that the people stop worshiping Baal and stop worshiping their God as though their God were like Baal. Instead, over and against Baal, God would self-reveal to be the God of the poor, the destitute, and the oppressed. This is the God who cares for widows and orphans and strangers. And this is the God who, unlike paranoid Baal, stands unopposed in the world, and so does not need to resort to violence. But the people would spend the next many centuries continuing to demand that God fight their battles and bless their armies. Believing that their warrior God would never allow Jerusalem to be conquered by Babylon, the people neglect justice in the city and fail to care for the poor in their midst. Thinking they had their warrior God trapped in Zion's temple, imagine their shock when the Babylonians destroy the city and the temple and send the people into exile. Their warrior God appeared defeated. But as the story goes, the warrior God was struck down but not destroyed. As the years of subjugation beneath one empire after another dragged on, the people would come to expect a warrior Messiah to come from God and deliver them, not from themselves and their own sins, but from their overlords and enemies. The people would come to expect a warrior Messiah to invade Jerusalem and lead a revolution against Rome. This warrior Messiah surely would arrive on a war horse like Baal on a golden calf. But once again, this is not what God had in mind. Once again, God insists on defining the terms of God's self-revelation. Jesus defies the demands that he be a warrior God like the people want, and instead he rides into the royal city of Jerusalem, not on a horse, but a donkey. If horses were war animals, donkeys were beasts of burden. If horses were royal assets fit for kings, donkeys were laborers that helped the poor till the soil. If horses are swift and elegant, well, donkeys are slow and stubborn. This kind of entrance was not how it was supposed to go. We call Jesus' arrival at Jerusalem on Palm Sunday the triumphant entry. But perhaps we're still looking for a warrior God when we do. This is really quite a humble entry. Another example of God deconstructing the projections we place on the heavens. Now the people try to salvage the situation, shouting, Hosanna, which is not an expression of praise, but of desperation. It's a cry for a warrior God. It means, save us. Jesus is there to save them but not in the way they are expecting or demanding. The people want salvation from Rome, but Jesus is there to bring salvation from themselves, from their sins, 
from the mess they've made of their world and the mess they've made of their relationship with God. When God deconstructs our projections and defies our expectations, we can do one of two things. We can be disappointed. We can turn away or even turn against God, as the narrative of the Holy Week ahead will demonstrate. Or we can stand and marvel at who God really is. We can be surprised at what God can do and how God can do it. And we can learn to worship the God who is who God is. As human beings, we often think we know what's best, right? Sometimes it seems obvious to us what's best. But in the end... God knows what's best. God really knows what's best. Even when it's not what we want or expect, God knows what's best. So will you allow God to defy your expectations? And will you suspend who you think God ought to be until you've become a witness to the whole story that plays out in the week ahead. On Palm Sunday, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, God looks less and less like the warrior God, and more and more like the Prince of Peace. The unfolding of God's self-revelation has almost reached its apex God's identity will come into full focus on the cross as the veil is torn and the centurion exclaims, Ah, surely this man was the Son of God. At Jerusalem's gates, we see once again that God is not going to be the warrior God of our demands. God is going to be Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who bears our afflictions and our sins. Friends, especially throughout Holy Week, Christians profess faith in the God we know in and through Jesus Christ. This is the God whose kingship is marked by humility, whose love is sacrificial and resolute. This is the God who reigns as Savior, but not as warrior, who brings victory by forgiveness and by laying down the sword. This is the God who knows our suffering, who knows our grief, who knows our pain, and who is with us to the very end. So this Holy Week, may you worship God as God has chosen to be known in Jesus Christ. And may you come to know even more deeply the depths of God's love for you, a love that will not let you go, even when you protest. For God's love is stronger than death, even death on a cross. Amen.